It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm so excited to have you tuning in today. We are continuing in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, picking up in chapter 3, covering verses 9 to 17 over these next two weeks, and I know this will be a blessing to you as we learn how to prepare today for tomorrow. Now, in this, Paul is going to use the church as a metaphor with a building. It's not the building after all, though. We have to keep in mind that the church is not a building. So if you belong to Christ, then Christ is in you. The brick and mortar is simply a gift from Almighty God, but he uses this this metaphor of construction, and he's going to use some agriculture as well, from laying the foundation through the actual construction to the final inspection. So he's going to use this is something that's tangible for us to be able to wrap our arms around and get our mind around here. But again, we need to be reminded right out of the get-go that as Christ is in you, it's never about the building. If you belong to Christ, Christ is in you. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Romans chapter 8, verse 10, Galatians 2, 20, amongst many others, confirm that Christ is in you. You are the body of Christ. Now, that, that means that the church could meet in a park, a hillside, a home, or still even be in a building, but the building doesn't define us. It's a word picture. And throughout this section, since we often understand and grasp theological truth using tangible things that we can get our mind around, then he uses this metaphor of construction of a structure. So let me just take you back for a moment. Those of you who are history fans, you you probably know this, but for many of us, we, I don't know, maybe we, we skip over this part of the history class a little bit, but during the Middle Ages, many Gothic churches were built, and those churches were elaborate, beautiful buildings, and they required a great deal of time and energy to build. Yet, what's most fascinating about these churches is how they were constructed. They would often put a mine in the area, and it could be as far away as 50 miles from where the church would be erected. And when the rocks were mined, listen to this, the volunteers would all come together from across the countryside and they would form a human chain, a living chain from the mine to the building site. And the rocks then would be passed from hand to hand all the way to the construction site. So if anyone in the rock chain dropped the stone or failed to do his or her part, that church construction would be impeded and everyone impacted. So today... The church is still dependent upon believers faithfully working together to build the church. If we fail to properly build Christ's church in a God-honoring way, it will never be all that God desires the church to be as what? The bride of Christ. You go to Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 24, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, even Revelation 19, 7 to 9. So more importantly, the Bible declares that our future reward comes from building Christ's church in the here and now. So in other words, what we do with our lives here on earth will have a serious ramification on the our experience during the millennial reign of Christ. So the the time to prepare for tomorrow is today. Now let's listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9, if you have your scripture pick up with me. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So Paul first affirms that he and Apollos are both fellow workers of 
God. This is a continuation from our previous study. Again, if you missed that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, even all the way back to chapter 1, you can go to calvaryfountain.com and listen there. You can also watch the sermons online, but I encourage you to do that just to pick up, or if you have your scripture, go back and read. He's affirming, reaffirming to them that he and Apollos are both fellow workers, and the term fellow worker is sun ergos. Okay, so this is a, it's used 12 times in other passages from Romans chapter 16, uh, we see this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, Colossians 4, amongst many others. So Paul is making it clear that they are laboring with God for God. Now you can go to 2 Corinthians 6, 1 on that. They work for him. So the image of the people of God as a field draws on a well-known tradition that was concerning Israel specifically, perhaps derived initially from Israel as God's vineyard from Isaiah 5, 7, Ezekiel 36, 9. And we will see this again in Revelation 14, in which the harvest is ripe and a sickle is handed to Jesus to reap the harvest of the people. So Paul then switches his imagery from that of agriculture to architecture. And when he calls the Corinthians God's field, then he switches gears to calling them God's building. They, the people, are God's building, and such dual images have their root in the Old Testament's description of the task to which God called his servant and prophet Jeremiah. We go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10 and 24, 6. You see those words to uproot and to tear down, and later to build and to plant. You see both the agriculture and architecture being called out there. Jeremiah 24, 6, we read, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. So God is the focus of this passage. His name shows up six times in the last five verses we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, he's the only one worthy of glory. So verse 9 is what we call a hinge verse that closes out verses 5 to 8 and now transitions into verses 10 to 15. And let, let me just go back and read some very important words here from the Apostle Paul as well, because Paul informs us that we, the church, are God's building. We look to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 13, and we read, To me, who am less than the least of all of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You see, the church is God's conduit of revealing his manifold wisdom even to angels those in heaven above and those on earth below. What a privilege and responsibility we have. We often think of the church as just a place you go where you sing a few songs and hear somebody talk. That's not what it is. The church is, is in a powerful instrument that God uses to give his wisdom to the whole world, including to angels and all the spiritual plane. 
And we have this privilege then to be the body of Christ, he of which is the head. So this is a message that we need to be reminded of today, that many Christians have grown weary with the church. And consequently, they are critical and cynical of the church's the potential and its position. And so when you're tempted to say something derogatory about your church or any other church for that matter— Pause for just a moment and imagine that Jesus Christ is standing next to you and he is the head of the church. So remember, the church belongs to God. So when you say something critical about Jesus's bride, you need to make things right with him. So we have to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. You see, you and I cannot build the church until we share Jesus's perspective and attitude about his church. So we have to make sure to build on the right foundation. Verse 10 now picks up, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So in, in verse 10a, let's, Paul's careful to state that his ministry is according to the grace of God. He he can't take credit for who he is or what he has accomplished because it's all God's grace. He says a wise master builder. The term master builder is architecton, and it's used here in the New Testament for laying the foundation. And what is that foundation? Let's read on verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation that the architecton builds upon is Jesus Christ. He is that foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. So we see this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Isaiah 28, 16, Romans 9, 33, 1 Peter 2, 6, amongst many others. So when Paul came to Corinth, he determined to preach only Christ and him crucified, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he laid the only foundation that would last. The foundation is the most important part of, of the building. So Christ challenges us to build on solid rock. And what is that solid rock? It's him, according to Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Let's read. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. A ministry may seem to be successful for a time, but if it's not founded on Christ, it will eventually collapse and disappear. So the question for every church must be, is our church and its ministries built upon Christ? By, by that, I mean, do we do what we do because we love Jesus Christ and are committed to his glory? To the, to, to the degree, if you ask this, that Jesus Christ is the foundation, not just something we talk about, not just a person we talk about, but is Jesus Christ the foundation and bedrock of our church, that its success lies on that alone, and, and, and that God the Father would see that, that it's not just lip service, but it's truth. It is the, the bedrock of our foundation. It, it may never be a mega church. And quite honestly, after years of working in large ministry and mega church circles, I challenge whether that's truly the measure of success. So adding more people isn't always a solution. In fact, God purposefully reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300 in Judges 7, 3 to 7. So our strength is in Jesus Christ through the empowerment 
empowering of the Holy Spirit, not about numbers. Now, certainly we love to celebrate when there are numbers that come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see that in Revelation 7, where a a multitude that can't be counted are praising God at his throne. So we earnestly look to that. We love when there are multitudes that have gathered to praise the one true God, but it's never about the numbers. It's about authenticity upon a solid foundation in Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Kings 19.35, God sent out one angel to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. These, These soldiers were about to destroy Jerusalem or attempt to do so. Since when does God need numbers? So we as God's people seek quality in Jesus Christ, not quantity. And it's worth noting that Paul urges us to be careful how we build on that foundation, how posts emphasizes the method or manner of building more than what is done. It is the quality over the quantity. Again, therefore, we must prepare today for tomorrow right? It's it's the now. So make sure to build on with the right materials. So God is concerned that we build with quality. You see, the church does not belong to the preacher or to the congregation. It's God's church of what we just read here in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. So to build properly requires using the right materials. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 13, we read, Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw— Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, at first glance, this looks like there are six different kinds of materials here. But in fact, there are only two kinds, that which is imperishable and that which is perishable, i.e. that which is permanent or those items that are temporary. So in light of Paul's discussion and concerns in 1 Corinthians, gold, silver, and precious stones could be perceived as quality materials fit for construction on the foundation of Christ crucified, while conversely, wood, hay, and straw could be considered inferior inferior materials, if you would, unfit for construction on the foundation, which was made to be fireproof, right? And these particular materials are not fireproof. So that's one viable interpretation. In one sentence, we're given what is quality and what is not quality, what stands the test of time and that which does not. However, I would like to suggest that since all of these items are listed together and not in comparison with one another, and since the foundation is Christ then the things of this world cannot be used as building materials. Gold, silver, precious stones, even wood, hay, or straw are all technically perishable. And Paul addresses this when in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17, listen to this, verses 24 to 31. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and in hope that they might grope for him to find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of you own poets have said, 
for we all are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So again, the context there about Jesus Christ and that we're the offspring of God, and we're not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or anything that we can shape. And then Peter addresses this further further in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We read, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So these materials of gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw are all perishable stuff of human wisdom. So the focus is here is on the quality of the building, and Paul urges his readers to use only the best materials, long-lasting ones, not temporal or flammable ones. And, and so what we have to understand here is that the heart of repentance, service, generosity, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, these are likened as the gold, silver, and precious stones of the construction material within God's church. It's God who provides them by way of the Holy Spirit. Even the very first gift of the Holy Spirit is agape love, something we can't do without the presence of the Holy Spirit, because agape love is of God. He defined love. We then act in that kind of love. So all the fruit of the Spirit are the building blocks with which God wants us to operate from. You go to Galatians 5, to 23 in that. So in Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 12, God highlights what true ministry is, a heart of compassion and service to others in obedience to him. So this is reiterated again in James 1, 27 with instructions that we are to look after orphans and widows. In Matthew 25, 31 to 39, we're to tend to the poor and imprisoned. And if we want to be the church of Christ Jesus, then we need to grab a bucket and start washing some feet. In John 13, 12 to 17, he says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you are saved and in Christ's grasp, he will not lose you, according to John 10, 28 to 29. So this is not a works for salvation that I'm talking about here. That's important for you to understand. The works that Paul is talking about is the fact that we are going to build something on the foundation of Jesus Christ in our life, producing either a building that will burn or a building that will stand. There's no middle ground here. You're going to build something with the life that you have. So if you just go watch movies all day, every day, and eat to your fill and live your life for your own creature comforts, 
then brethren, sisters, you are in disobedience. According to Luke chapter 12, Luke 19, Matthew 20, and Matthew 25. Now look, I like to go have fun with my family like anybody else. I've got five beautiful children, one now married with a beautiful grandbaby. So I love to spend time with my family. It isn't my life objective though to live with creature comforts. We were prepared in Christ to do what? To do good works. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, John 14, 12, and John 15, 1 to 8. Why? Because this is a life and death ministry that we're in, and God takes this very serious, and so should we. Go to Ezekiel 3, 17, Ezekiel 33, or Luke 14, 25 to 33 on that. Listen, let me just give you a simple illustration that might just make you think a little bit. There was a wealthy woman who died one day and went to heaven. An angel then took her to her heavenly abode, which was a plain old ordinary building. And right next door to her was her gardener who had this beautiful mansion. And she said, how did my gardener get a mansion and I get this plain old ordinary building? The angel then said to her, well, your home was built with the materials you provided. Now, although that's not a precise illustration of the New Jerusalem, The reality is this, if you are building God's church with materials that are perishable, then it isn't much of a church. The time to prepare for tomorrow is now, is today. And one day, we have to stand and give an account. One day, we will have our work, even those done in secret, even the unknown activities judged by Christ. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what was done in the body, whether good or bad. So as a result, each person will be rewarded according to his or her efforts in building up the church. And this day of testing will take place at the judgment seat of Christ. We call that the Bema seat. And the purpose of this testing is to give an examination of the worker as the nature of their work, not condemnation of the worker as to their person, but rather an evaluation of their labors. The worker loses in reference to the measure of a potential reward that they may have received for their labors. Had Christ appraised that work and what is left of it, if it's burned up, they lose a bit of that reward because it did not stand the test of time. Their labors were, in an essence, in vain. And you go back to Ecclesiastes for a full valuation of that. What are we really laboring for? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul tells us that there is a fire coming and only quality building materials will survive the fire. And Peter concurs in 1 Peter 5 Four, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that what? Will never fade away. So if you have built a home or sold a home, you know how important the inspection is. No matter how confident you are that your home will pass that inspection, there always seems to be a little bit of apprehension that the inspector will find something in the structure or that the craftsmanship is somehow lacking. So if someone has been cutting away the corners inspection day brings it to light. So uh, listen, one more illustration here. I think this will help too. Imagine that your father, a multi-billionaire, purchases two one-acre tracts of land for you and your sibling. He he pours a foundation on each piece of land and then gives you $1 million with these instructions. 
I'm going to give you one year to build the most beautiful home you can construct. And at the end of the year, the one who builds the most elaborate house will receive twice as much of my estate as the other. And you and your sibling are thrilled with this possibility. You begin work immediately. You hire architects to draw up the plans. You ask contractors for estimates. And you establish a rigid schedule to make sure you complete your work on time. And when that deadline arrives, you have a home that rivals the Palace of Solomon. However, your sibling is not as industrious. Their family responsibilities, work, hobbies, keep him or her from the task at hand. And not only that, but... When he is some immediate needs of this $1 million that this now seems to be taking the precedent of the moment where the $1 million is now going to college and tuition or a new car because the other car broke down and maybe even a swimming pool to you know build on the home that he already has. And so the night before the deadline, he decides to get busy and construct the best home he can with the little money that's left over with only a few hours remaining And a grass hut is all that he can manage to build, not because he wasn't capable of building to the father's desire, but because he didn't prioritize it. And the next morning, your father surveys the, surveys the, the two homes, and he, and he praises you for your efforts and rewards you with the promise of a large portion of his vast estate. He walks around your sibling's grass hut, however, and he expresses his disappointment. And as a result of the procrastination and squandering of those resources, your sibling then forfeits billions of dollars of future wealth. Now, at the end of the day, he's still family, but he doesn't receive the same reward. That's what we're told in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And many Christians have ignored the command to build carefully with intentionality. And I can assure you that when we stand before Jesus Christ, you will wish that you, more than anything in this world, that you had obeyed his commands because we all long to hear Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of of the Lord. And that's the reason why Paul exhorts this so seriously about using the proper building materials in God's church since he is going to inspect it, since he is going to test it with fire. We want only that which endures. I hope this has caused some conviction in all of us. It really is something that we need to, to examine of where our identity is. Is it in structures? Is it in automobiles? Is it in our positions at work? Our, our identities amongst the culture? Whatever it might be that we elevate even above God, that is idolatry, and it really does need to be examined in all of us to find where our true foundation is. Is it holy, purely in Jesus Christ our Lord as it should be? And if it is, then we will build on it with the correct materials, materials that will never perish, that have eternal value before Almighty God. So be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. We're only beginning. We're only in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll pick up again next week with some more convicting words. I hope this study is a blessing to you. Please go to calvaryfountain.com to learn more about Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. And please uh, put this on your calendar October 19th. 
from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. We have a craft fair that is a big fundraiser for many of the ministry activities that we do. We know that you'll be blessed. Lots of pottery, arts, and crafts will be present there. Again, October 19th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. I know it'll be a blessing to the community, but more importantly, be able to put some funds aside so that we can bless and serve those in great need. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.